got a slide, South Sudan, yeah. So just for those of you who don't know, in the beginning of this year, Fiona and I, in an attitude of abandonment to the will of God, we said, yes, we'll go back to South Sudan. But we've, the role that we're going back to this time is, is significantly different to what we've done in the past. For us, we are, for us, what's more normal is to sit in the dirt, to sit on little wooden branches and things and share Bible stories with people and ask them questions um, and elicit what they've learned and what they're learning from the Bible stories. The role this time, what we're heading back to, if I can get, is a member care role, a pastoral care role. It, it has a title which includes the word coach, but we see ourselves as going primarily to support the workers that are on the ground already in remote locations. We've been in remote locations. Um, that's where we were for the last two years, and as many of you know. And as the pastor uh, mentioned in his prayer, that, yeah, we, it's time to use some of this experience and our skill set in ministering to those who minister to others. So here are just a few slides. I'll just try and quickly talk you through them. So if you can see that, that's Sudan and South Sudan. It was the clearest picture image that we could get. The problem that you're hearing about in the news mostly is up here at Khartoum. But we're down in, down in South Sudan where we've worked before. South Sudan, you know, is a country that seceded from Sudan just a little bit over a decade ago and had a long liberation war to come away from Sudan and then went, within a year, fell into its own civil war and, and thousands, hundreds of thousands lost their lives. We'll be working down, if you can see Juba, if anyone can read Juba at the bottom there, that's the capital of South Sudan. Well, we'll be east of that, southeast of that, at a place called Tarit, if you can see that. So Tarit, this is, this is the main roundabout as you come into town. Eh? It's a big deal, isn't it? Eh? The bull. South Sudanese keep cattle. They're cattle keepers. And so, mu so many of the problems involve cattle. This is an area called Kimatong. Let me go back. This is an area called Kimatong. As I said, the people are cattle keepers. And there's a guy, a man, a shepherd with some cattle. Very hot, very dry, quite unlike where we were before in South Sudan. We were up higher than that mountain there. We were up about 2,000 metres high. And there's a, a, a quite a nice hut, isn't it? Quite a nice home there. This is in a place, an area called Kimatong. And with the, the Boya people and the Laram people. That's a, a local, a true local, carrying the machete on the head like that with a bit of some body piercing and some other things. There, there are a few of the team, young and older, younger and older, um, for when we visited back in early 2021. Before we left South Sudan, we made an effort to reach to go around and visit the other locations. That are some, there are some other team members also in, the, in that Kimatong area. 
We'll be heavily dependent on MAF. Roads are often uh, less travelled, as you could say. If it's not the weather that's destroyed the roads, it's the insecurities that have destroyed the roads and the, road, the ability to use the roads. Just in this past week, there would be more than 20 people that I've read about who have been killed on South Sudan roads. So we like to use the, the MAF. We'll be t- we use MAF quite a bit. Uh, and that's, that's a picture from us up in Nagishot in South Sudan, where we were before. So we'll be walking alongside the existing missionaries. Here's on our, on, that's me on the left, the well-dressed one. The one on the right is a missionary wife. She's from Kenya. Her husband, you'll see in the next picture, um, they were leading a team in, in this area. This is an area called Ohilang. And this is her husband, Robert. So two Kenyan missionaries. So the teams these days are becoming more and more um, multicultural. And so therefore, more and more potential for conflicts, more and more potential for misunderstandings, etc., etc. So there's Robert leading a, a Bible study. Thanks. So I don't know if you can see any of the huts at the top of the hill there, at the top left-hand corner. This is in the area where Robert and Carol, those Kenyan missionaries, where they, li- where they were living. And they've, they're just in the process of moving back now after having a break. Um, these people, this particular group of people, have moved up into the hills for security and safety. So they huddled together in houses and huts together and like that, rather than be spread out across the hills. Wow, is this the last one? The Ernie, what was the last one? Was it AIM? Just a reminder that we're with Africa Inland Mission, okay? We're not going out just... Um, completely independently. We're going out with Africa Inland Mission, a, a, a sending agency that's been working in Africa for more than 120 years. And, yeah, thanks. So they provide services to us. All our, all our funding, all our, our support is funneled through AIM, Africa Inland Mission. Okay, thank you. Let me just leave that here. So I hope you find that interesting, a little bit of info, information. There are a few, bro- Fiona has a few brochures if you're interested. They're not specifically about us, they're just the mission in general. This morning I'd like us to consider for a few minutes another miracle of Jesus and that is the healing of the blind man recorded in John chapter 9. You're familiar with the, the song, The Light of the World is Jesus, I, I expect. The light of the world is Jesus, yeah? So, John chapter 9, John writing records this again, another time where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So let me read. The, tech, the, the, the message is going to come from all of chapter 9, but I'm just going to read the first seven verses And then I'm going to flip over to chapter 20 and read two verses that will help us understand what the writer is trying to convey. 
in John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus says, oh, John writes, As he passed by, that's Jesus, he saw a blind man, or a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And if we flip over to chapter, chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, just two verses. And in my Bible, it's, it's, we've, I'm even given the pur- it's written the purpose of this book. But here John records this for us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, including the, mess, the, the miracle of healing the man born blind, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was his purpose, that we might believe on the Lord Jesus and therefore have life that he gives. Shall I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son into this world. Thank you for sending the light of the world. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the Messiah. I pray, dear God, that you'd open our eyes this morning to whatever it is that you want us to see, whatever it is you want us to hear from your word, from this message, Lord. Open our eyes and our ears. Lead us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been to a market somewhere in the world or to a church somewhere in the world and outside the market at the gates coming in or outside the gates coming into the church are beggars? Has anyone witnessed that? No, no one. Okay, one, two, just, just a few. Okay, radio, yeah. And also, yeah? Have you seen that in Australia? Has anyone seen it in Australia? No, you have. Okay, I haven't. Oh, yeah, two. Okay, fantastic. We have. I haven't. That could be an indication of that I haven't been around very much. But in, but in Rwanda and in South Sudan, it's very normal. You come to a come to a marketplace and there are beggars. Come to a church on a Sunday morning or a special, some other meeting through the week and there'll be beggars. And I remember one blind beggar at a market in Rwanda and I could put a coin into his hand and he would clasp my hands and give me the biggest smile. You know, he was so happy to, to receive something and yet he didn't know even what I looked like. He was genuinely blind. Well, it's quite normal. And then in, in Nagishot, where we went to, where we were for the two years in South Sudan, was a woman, a young woman called Blind Rose, or Rose, and we affectionately called her Blind Rose when we, to differentiate her from another Rose. Rose had been blind since birth, and to this day she's blind. She lives in a world of total darkness. She lives with her grandmother, but Rose is amazing. Rose walks with no shoes. And she can follow a path 
about one kilometer from her home to the compound where we live, and she could bring her jerry can, her 20 litres container for water, she could get her jerry can under the, under the water fountain and pump until her jerry can was full. And then she could put a, put a choco or a cork in the top of it, a cork of some description in the top of it, and, and up onto the head, and find her way through a barbed wire gate and out parallel to a barbed wire fence, down a hill, up a hill, and get home. She was totally blind, and I, lived, like, I took my hat off to her. She was like a little a hero to me. But Rose, more importantly, loves the Lord Jesus. She's one of the very few believers up in Nagishot in the Dedinga Hills where we worked. And she would lead the singing and with a big, loud voice. So today's passage begins with John telling us, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So where was he going? Where had he been? What had been going on? If I can just summarise, there had been a feast of tabernacles, a feast of booths in Jerusalem for this past few days. From all my reading, this is what it seems it looked like. And on one of those days, Jesus has, has been in a, in a certain place in the, in the temple area and he's, he's proclaimed that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He wasn't the first person to talk about thirsting and to talk about water. But there had been, as part of the festival, there was a ceremony of, of going down. A priest would take this golden jug and go down to a water source, gather water and bring it back. And there'd be a procession of people singing and chanting, coming back to the temple where the water would be poured out. Remembering the God's provision of water from a rock during their wilderness wanderings. So they were recalling the past. And Jesus there had said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So he's getting people's attention. And then in chapter 8, that was in chapter 7, then in chapter 8 we see he was in the temple, I think in the court of the women, and there were these giant candelabra lamps, possibly 20 metres high, giant lamps lighting the courtyard and, and people were dancing, singing, people playing flutes and the Levites chanting and they were, remember, they were remembering how God had led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and these, this candelabra, all these fantastically huge lights and lamps were to help them remember where they'd come from and how God had been with them and delivered them. And then Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. You know, you can imagine, well I can imagine, lamps, light, celebrating what God has done by lighting their path and now he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Those lamps that were burning were reminders of God's lead, leading their ancestors. And now Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So I think it's needless to say Jesus had caused a bit of a stir. Because not everyone would, 
be sympathetic to what he had said. And we read the last verse of chapter 8. People picked up rocks. They picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself. And now we come to this verse 1. And Jesus, as he passed by, saw a man blind from birth. And our good friends, the disciples, they fell for it. So, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That was a quite, a, quite a common view that physical disability was some sort of divine judgment on people. And that view is not limited to the Israelites. It's not limited to the Jews. That's, in many cultures, that's a belief that's held. So what does Jesus do? He corrects their thinking. He says, no, it's not, it's not the sin of this man or, nor his parents, but so that the works of, of him who sent me, the works of God, might be done. So now, as Charles Spurgeon put it, this blindness would become a platform for the display of God's gracious power in healing him. This blindness was going to be a platform for God to work, to display his power. Jesus went on and said, I must do the works of him who sent me. Who sent him? The Father, God. And then he said, night is coming. You know, the old King James, night cometh when no man can work. And then he repeats this, I am the light of the world. Thus connecting this this context, what he's about to do to the image of the, or, or what was going on in the temple with those giant lamps reflecting on what's happened centuries and centuries before. I am the light of the world. Sometimes I found it hard reading this and chapter 7 to understand, chapter 8, to see the connections, you know. It's good to remember that the chapter and verse divisions weren't there when John was writing the the gospel. So that's our scene. Jesus and the disciples passing along and Jesus sees a man born blind. But this was the Sabbath. So the man wasn't begging. He would have been forbidden for begging. So he would have perhaps he was just there catching up with the other regulars. The disciples have been corrected on the reason for why he's blind. And Jesus now has them ready. Jesus is about to authenticate his claim of being the light of the world. He spat in the dirt. I don't know if he spat onto the ground or he picked up some dirt and spat in his hand. I'm not sure. And he moulded and made some clay anointed the man's eyes and said, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man returned seeing. How good is that? Imagine, I think of blind Rose, if only she could see. But I imagine that in this life she's never going to see with her physical eyes. But this man, he went and he washed and he returned seeing. Jesus proved that he is the light of the world. He authenticated that by this bringing light to the man born blind. The man, like Rose, he lived in a world of physical darkness and Jesus brought light and now he can see. He liberated this man from physical darkness 
you know, John wrote just a few verses before in chapter 8, if the, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now the man born blind can see. And he's free from darkness. John doesn't tell us what the disciples thought and said. But he's, John is writing this record. He's recording this miracle. He's recounting this miracle in this book so that readers, hearers, will believe and that they too will receive Jesus as the light of the world. Most of the chapter, so we have, we've just read the first seven verses, most of the chapter is dialogue between different people. We just have a, take a look through that. In verses 8 to 12, we see a dialogue between the man born blind and his neighbours. I'm just going to summarise a little bit. When he came back, some people said, ah, it's the same man. Is this not the guy that was blind? Used to sit here begging? Others doubted. Hmm, maybe it's someone who just looks like him. Imagine. But the man himself said, I'm the one, I'm the man, it's me. Then the neighbours that he came back to in that area, they asked him a good question. How did this happen? You know, it would be on our lips. I think every one of us would be saying, how on earth has this happened? What happened? This miracle was without precedent. I can't find a, a recording of any of this miracle previously, prior through all the Old Testament. And the man, the man who's now, who now can see but was born blind, he said, the man called Jesus, he made mud, he recounted accurately what had happened. The man called Jesus. He made mud. He anointed my eyes and said, go and wash. I went, I washed, and now I see. I received my sight. Oh, so where is he? Where's that Jesus? I don't know, the man said. So then the, these neighbours, these friends of the, blind, of the man who had been born blind, they do the unthinkable in my book. To me, why did they do the, ne the next thing they did? They took him to the Pharisees to see what the Pharisees would say about this. And what I understand about the Pharisees, that would be the last place that I would want to take this man, nevertheless, because it's just going to mean trouble. And it did. Anyway, they take him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees asked him, how did you receive your sight? And when he, started, when he explained to them, the Pharisees became angry. They couldn't deal with it. Oh, this is on the Sabbath. This man is working on the Sabbath. You know that moulding of clay, spitting on some dirt and moulding the clay, was forbidden. How dare he? He's not from God. He couldn't be from God. He's a sinner. Simply because he worked on the Sabbath by moulding clay. But then someone said, one of the other Pharisees says, a, a, a natural question, but how can a sinner... You can finish the rest. You know, it flows, doesn't it? So there was a division among the Pharisees. Their spiritual blindedness, their, they were spiritually blind, but it was masquerading as intelligence. You know? Then they say, the Pharisees said to the man, so... Since it's your eyes that were opened, that he's opened, what do you say about him? 
What would you say? The man said, he's a prophet. First of all, he said, the man Jesus. And now he's saying, when he's being interrogated, ah, he's a prophet. The man Jesus, he's a prophet. So now, these intelligent Pharisees, they kick in with another question. Another doubt. They, maybe this guy was never really blind. Maybe this is all just a, a big show. So they go and they talk to the parents. They find the parents. And they say, is, you know, tell us about this. Is this your son? You know, was he always blind? Yes, it's our son. And yes, he was always blind. But the questions of how did this happen and who did it, they knew the trap because John tells us in here that the Jews had already made a pact, they'd already made the decision that anyone who testifies that this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, is going to be excommunicated. They're going to be cast out of the synagogue. So the parents, they don't know. He said, we don't know. Just imagine... I know lots and lots of materially poor people who are rich in other ways, culturally rich, socially rich, even spiritually rich, but materially poor. Imagine these materially poor people, poor enough that these parents, poor enough that their own son is a blind beggar. You know, they're obviously not people of great influence for their son wouldn't be begging in the marketplace. And they feared being cast out. They feared losing their place that they had, their humble place that they had. They feared losing their their place of worship. So if we say if we testify anything about this Jesus, we're in trouble. We're going to be cast out. So they said, Oh, well, ask our son. He's of age, he's mature, he's old enough. Ask him. You know, he's like Sean, right? He's old enough, ask him. So they have a discussion, another discussion with the man. Now the Pharisees are becoming more and more tricky and more manipulative. Come on, man, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, they said to the man in verse 24. Give glory to God. Do you know, friends, this was code. This was code language. They're saying... Just deny the truth. Deny it. Admit to us. Admit publicly that you were never really blind at all. Admit it now. Accuse the heretic. Accuse him and name him as a sinner. That's what they're wanting this man to do. And the, blind, the man who's had his sight restored, who'd been born blind and now Jesus had healed him, healed his sight, he said something like, If he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But what I do know, one thing I do know, that I was blind and now I can see. So he knew something that he couldn't deny. So what did he do to you? This interrogation continues. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Well, this man, if he is illiterate, if he is as from such a humble background... He has got backbone. He has got a spirit in him to take it up to the Pharisees. He said I, something like, I told you already. 
Do you too want, do you also want to become his disciples? So that would have been the red rag to the bull. You know, they want to they want to destroy Jesus. They're plotting to kill him. They anyone who identifies Jesus as the Messiah, anyone who gives him any credit is going to be cast out. And he this formerly blind, illiterate beggar, asked them, oh, so what now? You keep asking me because do you, you actually want to become his disciples? Well, they ridiculed him, you know, and insulted him. So then the same man reminded them of their own words, of their own teachings, that went something like this. It goes like God doesn't listen to sinners. If anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So if this man was a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. This is unheard of, the man said. This is unheard of to this date, what the experience, something, what has just happened. So he concludes, he must be from God. That's the conclusion. So can you see the progress that's happening here? This man referred to Jesus, the man called Jesus, then acknowledged he must be a prophet. And now he's saying he must be from God. So something is happening. It reminded me of something I learned on Friday night in the, in the home group about the seven points of contact for someone coming to Christ. This was three or four here. He must be from God. So these blind, spiritually blind and stubborn and angry Pharisees, they cast him out. They excommunicated him. Their spiritual blindness rejected this seeker and rejected Jesus. And now, almost the last discussion between the man and Jesus. John John tells us that Jesus had heard. Jesus had had received the mail that that the man had been cast out. So it seems to me like when Jesus healed the man and told him, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash, and the man did, it seems like that the man hadn't laid, or Jesus, they hadn't laid eyes on each other since. Jesus now has heard that, he, that the guy's been cast out, excommunicated. Jesus found him, he heard and found him, and Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man or do you believe in the Son of God? What that man was hearing, do you believe that in the Messiah, the promised one of God, the Christ? And the man, unlike the Pharisees, he says, who is he that I may believe? Who is the Son of God? Who is the Son of Man that you're referring to? And Jesus now says to him, you have seen him. This is the man who was blind. And now he's, Jesus is saying, you have seen him. I'm speaking to you. So now the man with, his eye, with the sense of his eyes and his ears is seeing and hearing the Lord Jesus. And what did the man say? Lord, I believe. And John says he worshipped him, worshipped Jesus. Jesus would not have accepted that worship had he not been God in the form of man, had he not been the Son of Man, the Son of God. So here was the greater miracle that that which John is writing for, that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
and therefore have life. That's John's purpose in writing, that we here today would believe that Jesus is the Christ. The man had lost his place to worship. He'd lost his place in the synagogue. If he had a pew or a chair or a stone or something to sit on in there every, every Sabbath, he'd lost it. But now he's found the Christ himself. Lastly, we see the discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees in verses 39 to 41. In summary, by saying that they can see, the Pharisees said that were saying that we can see, they're rejecting Jesus and therefore they remain spiritually blind. Throughout this chapter there's a play on words of seeing but actually not seeing, of being blind but seeing, seeing but being blind. There's a play on words here. They reject Jesus and therefore remain spiritually blind. And Jesus warns them of their terrible guilt and their blindness. It's, I find it really ironic that a man who was an illiterate, blind beggar could, could respond in faith by believing in the Lord Jesus. Yes, he'd had this miracle performed on his own body, but he received, he believed and worshipped. And these intelligent, learned men rejected and therefore remained blind, therefore remained guilty. What can we take away from this today? There's a, I think there's a ton of things we can take away today. And one of them, I think we have to begin with that we have to believe, we must believe. John's writing so much under inspiration of the Spirit of God that we would, urging us, can't you see? These guys are foolish, but can't you see that Jesus must be the Christ? Believe on him and have life. He is the light of the world. Also, we can see that religious people are sometimes the blindest. I don't know about you, but I acknowledge some blind spots. I'm blind to many blind spots of my own, as I imagine that you are probably blind to many of your own blind spots. My parents, my mum went to her grave spiritually blind. She believed in God. She believed about Jesus, but she, she never in her whole life believed in the Lord Jesus for her salvation. My father is 104 years old and to this day still does not believe like this blind man believed. The blindness. Pride can stop us. Pride, I think, was very much involved with these Pharisees. They were going to lose their place. They were going to lose their position and entitlement and their place of respect. Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, was, was undermining their, them. Pride can stop us. Fear can stop people believing and fear can stop people testifying. The parents didn't want to testify. The parents ultimately said, yeah, this is our son and yes, he was born blind, but any more questions about the who and the why or the how, go and ask him. They were afraid of losing their place. I can understand that. It's a reality. Have you 
I first ask myself, do I believe that Jesus is the Christ? And has that belief flowed into a worship of Christ, a worship of God? Because by believing, we now we can have life in his name. Spiritual blindness basically is an unbelief. The only remedy, the only correction, the only hope is to believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, have life in his name. We know it, I know it, I've, I've, told, I've mentioned it a dozen times already this morning. Possibly there's no one in the room that is hearing this for the first time. But don't, don't go on in life without dealing with this. Have I believed? Do I believe? Am I believing that this Jesus is the Christ? You know, in Africa, there are more than, let me say, approximately 900 unreached people groups remaining. An unreached people group, in simple terms, is where there's no, no sustainable church going on, no sustainable evangelical church. 900 ethnic groups without a sustainable church in their own... <laughs> I thought we needed another miracle. How will they hear unless someone can tell them? There's no guarantee that they'll respond in faith. But someone needs to tell them. And so, thanks for listening. Thanks for... Considering, I pray that you, even yourself, would today or tomorrow have a look at John chapter 9 again and reread for yourself how Jesus indeed is the light of the world and how John, writing, wants us to believe in him and by believing in Christ, have life. Thank you. that uh, ever since Jesus and even after Jesus, even if you consider all our technological advances,